Hello everyone, Rohit with ODAC here, and today we have an interview of Aaron Russell, who experienced two liver transplants and now runs a nonprofit for youth athletics. He's being interviewed by Edwin and Lassia, and let's just get right into it. So, first and foremost, thank you so much for agreeing to this meeting with us, Aaron. Oh, no problem. And if you have any questions in the middle, just feel free to stop us. Right? Yeah. Let's get started. Uh, so, what is your age and what do you do for a living? I'm 36. I'm currently still out of work um, from disability just because I had a transplant about seven months ago. But I do kind of like I run a nonprofit for kids in sports. So, I do that as much as I can, but not as often as I'd like. And which organ was donated? I've had two liver transplants. Two liver transplants. Both at the same time, or? Uh, I had one in 2015, um, and then another one in 2020. Uh, and can you describe the condition you had? Uh, my first transplant was an emergency transplant. They don't know what happened. Um, the way they explained it to me was like buying a new car and just having a bad transmission. It just kind of stopped working out of nowhere. I was only on the transplant list for that first time for about uh, 10 hours. And they'd said I got lucky enough to have an emergency transplant. And what about the second liver? Second liver was, uh, I got on the transplant list in 2018. Uh, my, my transplant liver started developing cirrhosis, which is pretty rare apparently after transplant, but the liver wasn't a perfect match. The, when I got it, it was more so just like a match to keep me alive. And they, pretty, they told me I was going to need another one. They just didn't know when. And then um, July of 2020, um, I got the call, and uh, it was actually a Hep C positive transplant. Um, and I was—I mean, I didn't have Hep C, but they trans i guess it's curable now. So they gave me a Hep C positive transplant because I got—I was in pretty bad shape, and it was kind of like do or die. So they had to go ahead and just try it. And how did your loved ones react to the first and the second transplant? Um. The first one, I, I have kids at the time, they were 10 and five, and they didn't really understand it. Um, but they were able to come, like, well, my oldest was able to come to the hospital and see me while I was like recovering. So she kind of got in, like, it was pretty hard on them just to see, like, dad was always around. And then I was in the hospital for almost three months. So it was weird that I was gone. And they didn't, I mean, it was, they're just too young to understand. The second time, um, from 2018 till up until my transplant, I pretty much laid on the couch and slept for 20 hours a day. So they like really watched me just slowly die on, on the couch. So, and that hit them pretty hard. And then when I got my transplant was during all this COVID stuff, so I couldn't have any visitors. So I was gone again for two months and they couldn't see me. They, I think in the two months I saw them for five minutes outside the hospital, but I was too sick to even really um, understand what was happening. I kind of was just like wheeled out there. They saw me. We hugged and I got really hot and uncomfortable and went back inside. So it's pretty hard on them. And then their mother, I mean, she just, she's the one who has to deal with it all. She's got to deal with me being sick and keep them organized. So I'd say it was pretty hard on them, but it really makes them appreciate just the time with, that they have with me now, because without organ donation, you know, I'd be dead five years ago. And were there any potential matches before that failed? Uh, no, it was um, never um, any attempts before it failed or anything. It was just both um, livers. I 
tilting. They worked no rejection issues. Just they worked well. And what would you say was the hardest part as a recipient? Was it uh, being on immunosuppressants, waiting for the heart, uh, liver? Uh, liver? Uh, I would say the medicine is just hard to get. Like I was, I'm on, I was 30 on my first transplant. It was just hard to take all that medicine and the effects it had on my body. And before I was just like, all I did was sports. And so, and like I was just used to being active. So it really was hard for me to not participate in sports for a while. Um, so I, I mean, the medicine and just the lifestyle, the lack of activity for a while really was hard on me mentally. Uh, what's, what sport did you play by curiosity? I uh, played college basketball. I played um, some arena football and uh, baseball. I pretty much would play anything, but highest level was basketball and football. And were there any complications after this surgery? Uh, after my first transplant, I started getting cellulitis a lot, excuse me, in my left leg, which is, was extremely painful. It was about, for, I mean, at least once a month for a good two, three years, I spent a week in the hospital with pain from cellulitis. And that, I think, and that was just like hard, like it sucked. And then, um, I also, I developed shingles, which caused, like I said, now I don't have any feeling in my left leg from the shingles. Um, so that kind of sucked, but other than, other than the cellulites and the shingles, nothing too serious. And how has your life changed mentally and emotionally? I'm a lot more aware of my emotions now, you know, as, uh, it's just a, more of it, like it's just a strong male, you know, you can kind of develop a hardness to life to where you just don't, you know, we've been trained to not show our emotions, but when you get rocked, you know, out of nowhere by your life changing with organ donation, it kind of makes you really put things in perspective to where you, I learned to just embrace my emotions because after that first transplant, I didn't know how. So I got severely depressed and I was in a dark place for a while. And it made me realize that, you know, if I don't, you know, go talk to a doctor, you know, a therapist and get my brain under control and, you know, embrace my emotions. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this. So it really made me aware. And I, and now I just, I welcome all my emotions with open arms and it allows me to not only transfer that over to my kids, but also all these kids that I train now, like to just, you know, don't with your anxiety or depression and ne negative or positive emotions, embrace them, but don't, don't allow them to be an excuse to not live your life. You know, like it's, everyone has mental issues. It seems like at this point, and it's, it's easy to fall in a rut, but you, I mean, you have to find a way out. So it's really just kept, I'm very in tune with my psyche and what's going on in between my ears. And it really, like, I don't think I would be without getting a transplant. And what would you say to your donor if you were able to speak to him? Um, just thank you. Like, I mean, it's, I don't, you can't really put into words how grateful you are for the gift of life. But I would just say, I mean, I'd be, I'd thank them and I'd make sure, you know, show them my kids and my family and everything that I was able to do post-transplant. I graduated from college. I, I'm back to playing sports again. Like I'm, I have a new lease on life and a new appreciation for every day. And without them, like it's not possible. And what would you say to the use of deciding to uh, sign up? Um, I just, there's no legitimate reason not to. Um, despite what they may hear and what they, most of the, re like everyone I've ever talked to after they, they do sign up, you know, like 
educate, educate yourself on organ donation and everything else. And, you know, and the time of loss when you lose a loved one or even, you know, God forbid if something happens to ourselves as young people, you know, you want to, you have the opportunity to give back and give someone a new lease on life. Like, why would you not want that for yourself? And there's no legitimate reason not to sign up other than your own selfishness, in my opinion. There's, I mean, once your time has passed, there's no reason to be buried with them. And how would you describe your life right now with the, the second transplant? Um, it's uh, just amazing. Like every day I wake up with an, uh, I would, I, I tell people I'm annoyingly optimistic now because there's not much harder than what I went through with these two transplants, especially this past one, because with COVID there's, I could not have any visitors. So I was alone for the entire process and that was really hard. So I wake up, like I pop out of bed and I'm fired up for the day, no matter what it's like outside or what I have to do. Like I'm excited for everything, even the bad. Like I, I look forward to negative things because it gives me another chance to just push through it and learn something. And other than not being able to see people uh, during your second transplant, how else did COVID affect you? Uh, I, uh, well, actually, and before kind of like before the pandemic hit, I got I had a lot of respiratory issues, and I'm it hasn't been like directly linked to COVID, but I'm pretty sure that it was because it was just before they were tested for it, where I had a um a pump hooked up to my lungs and I was getting fluid drained from my lungs every four hours. And I couldn't, I didn't have enough stamina and breath to go up my stairs and I couldn't walk. So it's, and then outside of like my own physical restraints from what I believe was COVID, just like the disconnection from people was just really hard on me because like, I'm a people person. Like I thrive on social interaction, like it killed it. And then just being alone in the hospital, like it's, it was, I mean, it was hard. Like it was, I, I mean, I was so worried and like I wanted to die to where I didn't sleep for, I think they said nine days and I went to a delusional state, which I didn't do the first time, but I think it was just because of the added stress from COVID and not being able to have that social interaction. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and before we close off the meeting, um, have you been able to leave your house and like feel like fresh air oh yeah i um i'm a big like after my transplant i got really into photography and nature because it, it allowed if photography would allow me to get back involved in sports before i could play but then like i've always been big into fishing and stuff and with photography like it just took it to another level like i go i before this meeting i was outside taking pictures of bald eagles you know like i like i'm aware of covid and I do what I have to. I've always been, ever since my transplant, I mean, I'm very cautious of germs. I keep my hands clean. The mask is a new change. But I don't let COVID control my life and dictate what I do. Like, I social distance. I do what I'm supposed to. But I, I get outside every day. I do something active every day despite COVID. Like, I, I refuse to not live because of what's going on with COVID because I, I feel like I felt what it was like to not be alive and be dead and i like I, it's, i'm not i'm aware of it but i'm not scared of it if that makes sense like i'm not gonna let it control my life and stop me doing things that i love great uh that's all that question all the questions i have uh Lazio, do you have any questions for him?
Yeah, I have a couple questions if you don't mind. Um, so the first thing is I've, um, when I've talked to like other organ recipients, they talked about like organ transplant groups that really like support groups that really helped them. I know you said that you spoke to like your therapist and everything, but did you find any support groups that helped you through the process? Um, there's a guy who lives close to me, he's a little older, who had a liver transplant and I connected with him after mine, but I'm also, um, in Maryland, we have, it's Team Maryland. I do a lot with them and I do the, like, I love the transplant games. It, like, it's one of my, it's probably my favorite thing about being an organ recipient is the fact that I got to go to Spain and meet so many people that can relate to me with the life, the lifestyle changes, but also compete in sports, which I love. And I think that's, it's just amazing. It's like, I've, the only way I can explain to people who aren't a part of the transplant community is like, how guys who drive Jeeps, they all wave to each other. You get that Jeep wave, you're a part of an elusive club. And that's like with organ donation, like you're in that, like even whether you're a donor family or a recipient, like you are part of an exclusive club. And you really like, without being in it or being connected to it, people don't really understand organ donation, especially in America. There's not a lot of talk about it. And it's just, it's a very forgotten thing that really, I mean, it shouldn't be, but it's just, we over, I mean, we tend to get complacent and forget things. And like, I love the community of organization like and it's allowed me to meet so many people that i can relate to with and with social media makes it so much easier because they have groups to where you can connect like oh like if i have something that feels off i can just say something on this facebook group and just about every time someone who's had a transplant has gone through it and they, they help you through the process of it yeah that's definitely what we've heard from other organ recipients it's definitely amazing to hear that that support is possible um, but you said that, especially like in America, it's a little different. How is it internationally? Like what is the, I don't know, because like I'm from India, so I know like the stigma around organ transplants, like recipients is different there than it is here. So like, how is it internationally? Um, I've heard, but so in like, I think it's Italy and Ireland, you can like, they're just, they're, those guys that are on their third transplant. Like it's just a lot easier for the process. And then some countries are switching to that opt-out plan to where you're automatically an organ donor. And the only way to not be an organ donor is if you do the paperwork to not be an organ donor to where here in America, like you have to know about it. You have to register. And honestly, like I didn't know anything about it. I signed up because I thought it was cool to have the little heart on my license. And then, you know, a couple of years later, my niece passed and they, my sister asked me if I thought she should be an organ donor. And like, and I never really considered it before and I got to thinking, you know, I was like, well, she's going to die anyway, unfortunately, you know, why not let someone else live? And that's when I really got into it. So it's kind of been a cool process because I've been on both sides of the organ donation process. I've been the, on uh, the donor family and, you know, and then six years later, I ended up being a donor recipient. And I, re I, I really like the opt out plans because just because there's so many uneducated people that, you know, that are passing that really probably would be a donor but they miss out on it it's just it's it's nice to to be able to meet people from different countries and see how their programs work and like in america there's tons of people waiting for transplants but in other countries it seems like it's you know a dime a dozen and then there's also countries where there's like a whole black market trade on organ donation and when i watched that documentary it completely blew my mind and these people are risking their lives to give up a kidney which takes their whole family out of poverty and like i'm like like it's crazy to me, but, you know, given the circumstances, I, I probably would do the same. If I could save my family and risk my life to give up a kidney, why not? But it, there's, it's so much deeper than what you see. 
Yeah, that's very true. And also you kind of answered my other question, which was gonna be, did you know about organ donation before your um, transplant? But since, so one of our like ODAC, one of the biggest things we do is like we lecture in high schools, trying to um, educate like teenagers who are about to get their driver's license and, you know, check that box. Um, and since you've been on like both sides, do you have anything like you would say to us that we should say to them that you think would help convince them or anything? Um, it's hard to, it's hard to get young kids to understand and you, you, especially as they're getting to drive, you don't want to put the fear of them. Yeah, they're already scared enough. And you got to be like, you know, if you some, if you die, you know, you'd want to give your donor, you, you, why not give your organs? So I was, like, if I had to, like my daughter, she's starting to drive. She just started driver's ed. So she's going to get her license. I'm, she's going to register to be a donor, obviously. But I think I would just say to her, you know, you don't want anything to happen, but you, you got to prepare for the worst and expect the best. And that's kind of what sign up for a donor is like, you want to live to be 150 like a sea turtle, but I mean, tomorrow's not promised. So if your tomorrow's not promised, why not sign up to let someone else's tomorrow be promised or give them a better shot? Yeah, we definitely use the slogan that your body can save eight other lives. So it's sort of like the same idea, but yeah. Um, and finally, you are like a lot younger than a lot of the organ recipients that we've seen in like transplant support groups and um, just the ones we've interviewed. So how has it been different for you? Is it any different from you from like, I don't know, people you've talked to who are older? Um, yeah, because it's just a different lifestyle. Like I'm still, like I still try to pretend I'm cool. So like when we're in Spain, like they're all going to bed at 8.30 and like I want to go out and still do stuff. I mean, I don't drink obviously, but I still like to enjoy life. And it's like a lot of the community is, you know, 50 plus. And it's, it's, there's a disconnect with social things and like conversations, but I've, it also allowed me to kind of expand my mind to a different generation's way of thinking, because I can't go talk to many of my peers about, you know, deep life instances because they haven't really lived yet to where these people have been here done that and like and i it gives you a deeper connection with people and and in my like i like i go get my blood work every week and like i look forward to it because i know i'm going to be sitting in the waiting room with you know people that are elderly that have a completely different outlook on life and especially now with being you know young african-american and all the negativity in the world it allows me to show them you know look past the stereotype because like I can hold a, a conversation, an education conversation about any topic. And even if you don't agree with me or I don't agree with you, like we can still have that talk and keep it respectful. So I think it's, it allows me to open up the minds of the older generation too, to, you know, give us young guys a shot. Like we're not all dumb, ignorant, you know, we care, we want to learn stuff. I was like, but you got to stop assuming that we're not here to get better too. Like we're not just lazy. Yeah. No, definitely. I think every time we go to the TSO meetings, with they're all really, really old. They're always surprised that we would want to be there. They're very, they think they forget that, you know, we all, we have compassion too. We care about yeah. things too. So yeah, they're easy to, to write us off. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and last question, I think. Um, and I guess, so we have just recently started like tapping into like younger organ, like 
30 years old, we, we talked to another woman who had a heart transplant at 30. And it's definitely been really interesting because your outlook of life is so different to someone who has like grandkids and who's like, okay, I'm like, you know, ready to whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I guess, is there any like community for younger organ recipients? Um, there's actually, I have quite a good bit of friends that are like, there's a couple guys from Maryland that had transplants around the same age as me. Um, I mean, they live further away, but we, from the Spain, when we're in Spain and the American games, like we, there's a, there's a good bit of us, you know, under, like I'm getting closer to 40 now. So I'd say under 40 that are, you know, we're pretty tight and we talk often like through social media. Um, so there's definitely a community and there's a, there's a lot out there, but it's with younger people, you know, if you see me out on the street, you're not going to know whether, you know, our scars are hidden underneath our clothes. And then if we're at the beach, you know, people, I just tell people I got bit by a shark most of the time because it's easier to explain. So it, it, there's definitely a community out there of younger people. It's like we're just disconnected because, you know, you're young, you're still looking forward to life. So it's the first thing you don't tell someone is, oh, yeah, I've been through this. I've had a transplant because you don't want people to judge you based on that. Because a good example is, uh, like I run a gym and I train a bunch of my friends in the morning and they're all like, Hey man, why don't you work out with us? And I'm like, because I like with my leg doesn't work all the time. Like sometimes I fall and like, well, what do you think we're going to laugh at you? I was like, no, I was like, the problem is you're not going to laugh at me. And I want you to laugh at me. You guys are going to think I'm hurt and injured. I was like, I don't want you to like, don't treat me differently because I was sick and I'm going through stuff. Like if I fall or do something dumb, like I want you to laugh at me. Like it's so as a, as a younger person, you develop that kind of like, self-doubt to where you don't want people to judge you based on what happened they you just want to be accepted for what you are moving forward so it, it, you kind of get that stigma where you want to kind of keep it under wraps but then when you meet people that have been through it like they're like yeah man man same for me it's like i'm sick and when i go play basketball with my friends they don't try to go against me as hard because they know i've had this heart transplant and then like see so it's it's different because we still we're still looking forward to life to when the older generation is like, you know, been there, done that, like I'm content, just happy to be here and just coasting when we're still like, we have that fire and drive to still, you know, crush everything. Exactly. That's like the biggest difference. Like you guys have ambition still. And, mm -hmm. you know, you still want to do the stuff in the world. Like the woman I was talking about, she's a doctor and she's like trying to continue working and everything. And obviously like you're, you're in your nonprofit and you're doing amazing things. And it's just so different from, it's amazing to see though, because that like resilient, positive outlook on life, I really have only found it in like young people who've mm -hmm. gone through this and it's amazing. Yeah, that's so, like I, I tell people all the time, like getting a liver transplant was the best thing that ever happened to me because it gave me such a great appreciation for life and the, just a drive and a hunger to just be so much better as a person. Like not that I was a bad person before, but I wasted a lot of days just goofing off. Now it's like, you know, every second is like, it needs to be productive or I feel like I'm just wasting away. And like, I, and in my head, like I owe that to my donors, you know, to make sure I get the most out of every second of every day. And so that's, and it, it's translated over to all these kids I train. Like I have a lot of kids in my program that have a really strong drive to be better every day. And it, uh, it's because that's what I promote. Like, and the kids are, and they're learning how to be human beings based on the adults they're around. And, you know, it's a culture we create. Yeah, definitely. Where'd you play college basketball? I played basketball in high school. It was like my sport. So 
Uh, I play, it's a, I played in the community college because I was, like I said, I was a knucklehead in school. I had, I graduated with a 1.9 GPA, so I played at a Harvard Community College, and I had every number to these college coaches, big programs. But once they saw my grades, they're like, "Oh no, thank you." But be, and I actually graduated school after my transplant. I wanted to finish, and I ended up finishing as a, like the highest GPA on my team because it really put into perspective like student comes before athlete for a reason. So it's like uh-huh. everything in my life is all just like it's amazing how it all just pieces together and organ donation is just another chapter in this book of just like learning and growing. And it's, I love that I can pass it on to my kids and so many others. Yeah. The student comes. Sorry, we also ahead. get to play basketball in the transplant games. Basketball is like a, one of the bigger things. And like, we like, it's amazing. Like, it's just so much fun. Like if you ever get a chance to be a part of the transplant games, I, I think you guys should really look into that. It, it's such an amazing experience. Yeah. Sounds amazing. But when you said student comes before the athlete, like really gave me like flashbacks to high school and my coach would always yell that to us. So yeah. 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 It's great. And like as a kid, you don't go, whatever. Like, I mean, I failed off of all my sports my ninth grade year in high school because I didn't care about schoolwork. And I was like, well, I'm good. So they'll let me play anyway. First day of tryouts, they say, well, you can't play through your report card. Like crap. So then I was like, then I did just enough to play. And then once I got into college, I was like, okay, I'm obviously not going to be Michael Jordan, so I should probably get this school thing down. And I was able to, you know, maintain a 3.6, which from to go from a 1.9 to a 3.6, like that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of school-wise because I could easily just, you know, like, oh, forget it and taking the easy way out. But I buckled down and got my priorities straight. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I don't think I have any more questions. Edwin? Uh, no, no. Okay. It was absolutely amazing talking to you. Thank you so much. Oh, for sure. Thank you guys too. Happy to help any way I can. And that's the end of today's episode. Stay tuned for more interviews. Goodbye.